0: My guest today is acclaimed comedian, writer, actor, podcaster, and producer, Pete Holmes. So I don't know if you've noticed, but um, long-term listeners have probably keyed in on this. I have been sitting down with a number of people in the world of comedy stand-up lately. I think because stand-up tends to be this world where people choose to live in a space of constantly examining, commenting on, and pushing the envelope of not only their own existence and life and the little and the big things in it, but also around the broader experience of the human condition. And that fascinates me. They've kind of become the philosophers of sort of like the the modern world. And I want to know what's underneath that. That is a lot of what Pete explores in his recent memoir as well. It's called Comedy Sex God. And by the way, that is not sort of like comedy sex god as in two adjectives and a person, but uh, three different topics that are deeply meaningful to him. And also in his long running podcast, You Made It Weird, we dive into the deep end of the pool today really quickly with a no holds barred exploration of family and faith, atheism, mysticism, comedy, parenting, love, and how they all tie together and inform each other. Fun context fact here also, this conversation is part of our LA sessions where we spent a few weeks recording in Southern California. On this day in particular, we taped in Pete's garage behind his house on a semi-reclined old couch, just kind of past the elliptical trainer that we would step around to get to it. Pete had a cozy blanket pulled chest high over his pajamas. As we both kind of laid back and sat there with our microphones, loved every part of this experience, and I hope you will too. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Ertube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practice. Practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important.
2: But Katie will tell you that I'm a definitely a suggestible person. If you told me that those had, like you just gave me these yeah. almonds, if you were like, these almonds will elevate your mood 30%, it's been proven. I don't mind that. I just have a very suggestible mind. I like to think that it's it's tied to like a, a manifesting quality that I have, meaning yeah. if I'm cooking like a like a mac and cheese or something heavy and kind of make substantial, I was going to say gross, meaning... Something that makes you feel a different way. You know, mac and cheese makes you feel like you ate mac and cheese. When I'm cooking it, I'll start feeling how I'm going to feel. It's Mm -hmm. it's a weird, it's like my consciousness is a little bit ahead of myself.
0: Not so weird, actually. Um, A lot of the research on sort of like gratification, satisfaction, like points pretty clearly to the fact that we actually get a bigger hit from the anticipation than from the thing itself. That's, I mean, Katie knows this. (laughs) Yeah. Val always says it's, the
2: ordering the pizza and waiting for oh, the totally. pizza and looking forward to the pizza. It's not the pizza, right? The first bite of pizza is great. And then every <laughs> other bite is, is literally just chasing the dragon. I don't know if this is relevant to your podcast, but that is one of the most valuable things I've ever learned. It's also just like, you want that hit of self love where you go like, yes, you can have, cause you're parenting yourself. You go, right. it's okay. You can have it. Last night I just worked this weekend Doing stand-up. So we did five shows. And then I got home late last night and I was very tempted to order food, even though I knew I wasn't hungry. And it's taken me a lot of time. It's taken me, I'm 40 years old now. And I just go, this is a malfunctioning of uh, the lower part of my brain that thinks that like I need to eat constantly to live. And I have to go, like, that's not me. I have to go, it's not me. And I have to tell something that's not me, no. That's what's made a huge difference. Is I used to have to tell Pete no, and now the the way that I avoid binging that would basically just be a binge. If you're not hungry and you're eating, just a binge. I just go, "That's not you." I'm talking to the animal part of my brain. You can't have fat and sugar right now. I know you want it, but you're you're malfunctioning. You're firing off, and you shouldn't be.
0: Yeah, and yet we do that all day, every day. (laughs) It's like yeah, it's not. I mean, but it's interesting because you're like, okay, so that's not me. Then who is it? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's sort of like it's the primal part of us that just is completely autonomous and reactive. You mean it uh, it deserves some love, too? Yeah, you know, it's I think so. I don't think
2: it has our best interest in mind.
0: Well, I think sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. It didn't get the update. Right.
2: (laughs) It's like
0: (laughs) must download
2: patch now. Yeah, I wish we could. I I mean, like it is why ice cream is so good. It's not not giving us something. I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're just saying it. It, deser- it is part of us?
0: No, because, I mean, if you think about where it come from, right? So who knows, because it's been there forever, but all bets are on the fact that, you know, it was a survival mechanism that, you know, yeah. uh, we might not be eating for three weeks, so right. we eat whenever you can. But then there's a, sort of like these, you know, two different thinking systems that we have. This sort of like Kahneman and Torsky made famous, the intuitive, fast, like really primal one, where you think you're making a really good decision, and there's sort of like a logical reason, slower one, where you you know, your your brain is like analyzing the data points. And most people think that, that, you know, their intuitive thing is always right. Like that primal voice is like, well, yeah, you know, that's my intuition. Your speed. gut, yeah. But it's not. But it's also not useless. You know, it's sort of like the two systems inform each other depending on the type of decision that you're making.
2: That's really interesting. Now, yeah. No, I'm a big fan of uh, intuition. I, I don't know if it comes from the brain at all though. I sometimes think it comes yeah. from putting the brain aside. I mean, Einstein was a big fan of not using the rational brain or any or either part of the brain. I think he was using silence. So many great ideas come from, it's, it's this line in Mad Men. I love the show Mad Men. And Don Draper, which is Matt Weiner speaking through Don Draper, says the way to come up with an idea is to think about it really hard and then stop thinking about it. And then it'll just come to you. And I was like, that's exactly what it is. It's like you can't think your way to a great solution all the time. Sometimes you think, and then you have to just put it aside. And I think that's one way around. It's like the third side of the brain.
0: So agree with that, (laughs) which is kind of interesting, too, because that pause is going away these days. It is. It's like, I mean, you have a device in your hand that lets you fill every second. So I I often wonder what happens to innovation, what happens to creativity when that pause goes away.
2: I couldn't agree more. We're right in my sweet spot of what I love to rant about is because I, I've said before, it's like ideas are like fish, but the water has to be still to see them. And we're just constantly, and I do it to myself even. I'm grateful that I'm 40 and I figured out how to be creative and I figured out I've made it my, my livelihood and stuff. So it, it's a priority and it's easy to make it a priority. But if I was a young person, like where I came up with like so many ideas and so many visions for my life and what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do came from being in the backseat of my parents' car, really, really bored. And they didn't give a shit. And I mean, it wasn't not it was not abnormal to not give a shit that your kids were bored. You were like, right. Yeah, childhood is boring. Right. It's like figure something out. Figure something out. <laughs> I was so bored. I played with action figures until I was 18. And I only stopped when I was 18 because of peer pressure. And I used to be so embarrassed of that. But now I'm like, what a fucking genius. I was like making movies. I was basically making movies. When I write a script, I'm playing with action figures. It's the same exact thing. This guy comes in and says this. Now we're in a diner on the moon. It's, it's writing a script. It's playing with action figures. And I did that because I wasn't basically i didn't have the internet (laughs) but then i see so many young people i like jabuki young white comes to mind who's somebody i did crashing with i don't know how old he is i think he's like i don't know 20 or something he's very young and he's super creative and super talented and it's like nature always finds a way meaning like it's normal that i'm gonna look at the young people and go like how are they gonna do it and like Maybe the brain finds ways to enter resting states even when you're scrolling. I don't know what it is.
0: Maybe. I mean, I think the, you know, generation that's coming up, definitely their brains are getting wired differently than ours were. I think um, that's just um, a and fact, maybe it's yeah. just creating sort of like its own way to find that, you know, like maybe it's piecing together micro bursts of space to try and give the brain what it needs yeah. to actually like get that same cumulative Yeah, it's like effect. growing gills. Yeah. They'll grow gills. Nah.
2: And we grew gills. I mean, I, I was drinking so much soda. I'm sure, I don't know if my dad was like, I didn't drink that much soda, but like we were doing that. We were eating chemicals and weird things and watching way more TV and video games and stuff that they didn't understand. So if we're looking at young people and going like, I don't know about these kids. I, th- I just feel like that's the more things change sort of thing.
0: I completely agree. So, I mean, you. it's interesting also, because you. so you grew up in a, a like a strongly evangelical household. And mom was also Lithuanian. Was she first generation? So she came yeah. first generation.
2: Mm-hmm. I say this with love, yeah. like meeting a jolly Lithuanian is always <laughs> really fun for me. We can have like a heaviness to us. I actually love it. I think it's what makes me sort of interesting as a so, person. Yeah. Well, Lauren Lapkus, who was, played my wife on Crashing, she's Lithuanian yeah. and she's a very happy person. Just in my family, my dad always, because he's he's Irish and British and right. like kind of more of a jolly person, would always joke that if anyone smiled in my mom's side of the family, their face would crack. <laughs> they were just very... But they were like it's literally like... World War II refugees. Right. You know what I mean? Like They were like a serious people and my dad was just in america just being like how oh, much for the hot dog you know right. like, it was different you know kind of energies
0: so I mean, did you ever wonder what drew them to each other had being like i think such that, different lenses maybe a, i think that like complimentary
2: I, I think often i think about this all the time like sometimes freewheeling uh successful happy men like my father and women, I'm just speaking. I know a bunch of men like that who sometimes are drawn to what they're missing, which is a little bit of a a frank, I don't want to say there wasn't like too much nastiness, but she was very like critical. And, And it almost like keeps them from soaring so high that it's unpleasant. I know that sounds like code that my mom is just terrible. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, I know a lot of people, like everything's going right in their life and then they tend to marry somebody that's not just like, my wife, you met her, Val, yeah. is like, higher and higher. Let's be happier and sillier. But a lot of people with lives like mine that are just sort of charmed and nice and your dreams come true, sometimes they do marry somebody that's like, you ain't shit. And they like that. And I think that goes back to however their mothers were or whatever their psychology is. And I think my, my father's psychology probably needed somebody to be like, Jay, put down that paint. You know what I mean, and and that felt comfortable to him. Yeah, like Freud was right about everything. He's and my mother loved me too much, and my wife loves me too much. Like I mean, we're just doing. We're looking for we are, what we learned. We are
0: repeating the cycles of our parents. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
2: I mean, they put in the tracks, and my mom was like, "Love is holding you and telling you you're great and and feeding you and all these things," and and my wife. It does I, I know people don't like talking about this because it's creepy, I guess, like to think that your wife is <laughs> sort of a version <laughs> of, of, of love, of what you yeah. learned, but like deal with it. We're fucking
0: baboons. I man. mean, it's interesting <laughs> that you say that, right? Because I, I remember hearing from, I must've been a therapist or a workshop or a lecture or something like that, where basically the 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 proclamation was, we all tend to find and date the person who is the parent that wounded us most and try and... Change in them, the thing about our parent that was causing the hurt, mm. and which is you know, like a brutal thing to try and do to sort of like try and start a cre- yeah. create a relationship with, rather than just sort of like find that person and somehow use them as a proxy to just get comfortable and find acceptance in the way things are. Yeah, that's interesting.
2: I I'd love to talk to that therapist. I'm all yeah. about admitting <laughs> wounds and stuff. I don't think that's what's going on with Val and I. And yeah. I I'm the first to get in line of the like this is how I'm fucked up. So I hope you n- yeah. don't see this as a lack of vulnerability. I may have been doing that with my first marriage, mm. but the second time around, I was very much like I was post therapy. I I knew a, a lot more. The, my first I didn't know what I was doing. I got married when I was 22. So I literally I drew a New Yorker cartoon. I drew cartoons for the New Yorker at the time, and if you look at the uh, rejected ones they're like journals and one was a guy saying to his mom mom this is uh jennifer she'll take it from here like that was the joke and that that's what i was doing i i i like tarzan swung from my mom right. to my first wife so no wonder i i'm not saying this falsely no wonder she left like that was a brave and appropriate thing for her to do i sort of wish she had done it in a more uh gentle way like not cheated on me but she did the right thing. She needed to blow up the bridge and it was always gonna be somewhat hurtful, (laughs) but she did what she had to do. And I I respect that. And it was because I I hadn't yet gone in my, the deep cave of my subconscious and been like, oh, look what's happened in here. Like it's, it's pretty fucking weird in here. And then Val came around precisely because I had cleaned up the frequency that my tuning fork was emitting. And then I was able to attract somebody that was just that wasn't just another version of my shadow.
0: Yeah. I <laughs> man. I hope. So much evolution we all go through. I mean, you've written, you've talked about, you've done so much around sort of like your the dynamic in your household when you were a kid, both in terms of your parents, you also being a peacekeeper and in this deeply faith-based family culture. Yeah. Which seemed when you were younger Kind of like provide a lot of foundation and structure that was really helpful, but at a certain point wasn't. And it also sounds like what you just described. You know, like when your wife left you, that was this moment where it wasn't just about the relationship. It was like, oh, this is making me question everything that I've been taught up until this moment in my life.
2: And it was actually a a little bit different. My parents were religious i just out of respect for people who were raised like actually evangelical i just want to make the note that it was like sort of i went harder at it than they did they introduced me to it but then at a certain point my mom actually was like i'm sorry (laughs) like she actually apologized to me she was like i didn't know that you were being told that like sex is evil or that you were being told that being gay is wrong or that you're being told this this or this or this or whatever it was she, so she actually owned up to that. But I was looking for structure that I wasn't necessarily getting in my family. I was getting a lot of good things in my family, but I, I wouldn't say like like a regular dose of stable structure what comedian is like boy that was stable or person i don't know
0: it's like i got nothing to talk about <laughs>
2: yeah is that right
0: no it's like i'm just imagining like a comedian he's like on stage who has like oh a i see i have nothing. Life. exactly like, i got nothing
2: yeah I, it, a comedian learns how to control difficult situations so that i think that's where i learned how to control like so this club i was working this weekend, and they were like kicking people out because it was late and They were rowdy. And something I say to myself backstage, I go, this is nothing compared to, like, an awkward dinner with my family. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are you going to yell, eat shit at me? Like, (laughs) fuck off. Like, I don't care. Like, this, this is nothing. Like, that's where you learn those chops of a late Friday show. You learn them with weird parents. So anyway, I ended up going to church. Especially my father was a great dad in so many ways but I was also looking for like the emotional father figure. And that's where I found like, I I was so impressed that there was a pastor. We had a male pastor that was like talking about feelings and asking questions about the universe. And I had a a male youth pastor that was like also available emotionally and and was sort of like gentle. I don't mean that like he was, he was like a, a, I guess you'd say a man's man. I don't know what that means. Meaning he could do carpentry or whatever. Uh, But like, he was available, he was vulnerable. And I was really sort of like, what is this? And he was also in show business. These are both people Mm. speaking on stage. So of course I loved it. It was like people asking the big questions. I was always one of those people, I still am, that's like, it's crazy that I'm seeing anything, that anything is seeing anything. I didn't have those words for it, but as a kid I was just like, what is going on here? I don't understand. So many people were more interested in their pants or their next great meal or a movie, and I'm just like, what is it that is happening? And God is sort of an oversimplified story, I suppose, but at least it was a story. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, there's a God and there's seven days, and and this is going on, I was like, okay, great. So I loved it, but then I did, like a lot of people misinterpret that as God being like your protection system, that this God is like not in favor of suffering, and, and if you are good, he will protect you. It's basically Santa Claus. And I, I don't say that with any disrespect intended to people who maybe still believe that way. But the God that so many Christians that I knew, and I'll just speak for myself, that I believed in, had so much more to do with Santa Claus, Zeus, and Plato. Basically, that's what that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with like the body is bad and this is the separation of spirit and body it didn't come from Jesus. Jesus is like all about the body. He's like eat my body and like uh receive the body and I am your body and we are one body. It's it, all that body shame comes from a misinterpretation of Paul which we don't have to go into now. But Plato was the one that was like spirit and body are at odds and and it's like me talking about the ice cream and these things are fighting each other and we need to be pure and we need so and then Santa Claus watching and rewarding huge part of our culture subconscious and that became our god and then Zeus old man in the sky with a beard who's going to punish you if you're bad but then of course he's going to protect you if you're good so that was my god you can't really find that god in the bible but uh that was him and then graciously he was blown up when my wife as you mentioned thank you for at least reading a synopsis of my book if you didn't read my book I really I mean that I'm so uh touched it's not often that I talk to somebody that seems to know what they're talking about my wife leaves, and then I went, well, what's going on here? I thought, I, I didn't say fuck, I said freck. I didn't have sex, I waited till I was married, more or less. We had sex a little bit before we got married. Uh, I didn't do drugs, I didn't really drink. I thought I—I I thought everybody you told me to think was going to hell was going to hell. I prayed, and and that it still blew up. And then that made me lose my faith, which ended up being a really great thing, because it... it I, I talked about it in the book as being like I took all the furniture out of the room, the faith furniture, and then I could redesign it in a way that felt right, going back to intuition, that felt right to my heart, not just like what I had been, what I had inherited.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you're also at a moment in your life where I think a lot of us are sort of like stepping out from under the umbrella, the safety, the the provocations and proclamations of our parents and yeah. like starting kind of like out on your own and then you're next level out on your own. So It was it's, a totally it's appropriate. You're right. absolutely it's sort of right. Like it's the right moment. It's not maybe not the way you want it to go down. Even if you right. weren't getting
2: divorced though, you were probably doing something similar. A lot of similar, similar questioning, yeah. And everybody needs it. I mean, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just get so excited about this. So Richard Rohr says that God or ultimate mystery or ultimate truth or ultimate reality doesn't come to us through structures or books or religions necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's available and free to everybody. And it comes through great love or great suffering suffering means things not going your way it doesn't mean necessarily like being stretched on the rack it just means things not going how you expected and that happens to everybody and great love usually comes to everybody in some way or another so those are the two great teachers i thought because i'm a westerner i'm an american capitalist basically i'm thinking like god is the winner he wants us to feel good things he wants us to win. We should be eating good meals and saying thank you, God. It's it's basically a, a clanistic. It's 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 a rightness worship and like God, thank you for this bounty, and we eat it, and we know that our God is right and their God is wrong. You can find that in the in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's all the priests of Baal, and we wipe them out, and we and we're victorious. That's low level religion. It's identity making religion, and that's what I had. And when it blew up, I was in New York City. I was twenty eight. And I was on my own for the first time. And that's basically what crashing is about. But the true story is a little bit different, you know, in in subtle ways. And I had all this time to go like, oh, I'm free to be an atheist if I want. And I dabbled with that. It didn't feel right because, I mean, we can get into that if you want. But like I, for the first time, allowed myself to entertain any possibility, which is actually way closer to liberation and enlightenment than I was when I was religious. When I was religious, I was taking what I had inherited and protecting it, holding it like a hot potato. Whereas an atheist is actually way more liberated, meaning they can think, if you're open to atheism and open theism and open to infinite possibilities like Gillette is by the way he's like i'm not saying there's not a god he's a famous atheist he's saying i'm saying i don't see the evidence for a god i'm open to anything that is a very liberated person a very free person as opposed to what i was doing which was i was like you know i can only look in this corner with this flashlight don't turn around don't look at any of the other possibilities so i was learning how to like entertain
0: anything yeah. I mean, at the same time that you experience it as liberating, though, so much, uh, I think so many people turn to, to different faith traditions, whatever it may be for you, because it tells you what to do when you open your eyes in the morning. And depending how deep you go into orthodoxy, it really tells you what to do. So when you strip that away, um, so it gives you a certain amount of certainty in your yeah. life. You know, it gives you the rules. Like if this happens, if X happens, Y is the appropriate response. So yeah, it definitely limiting on the freedom side of things, mm-hmm. but it also gives you a certain amount of grounding that makes us kind of like be able to breathe. And what's interesting is you describe when you kind of pull that away and you're like wiping the slate clean, not that you're not going to ever accept or rebuild it in a way that makes sense to you. But in that moment, there's a huge amount of freedom. Also for so many people, I feel like, That is the moment of just stunning anxieties. Well, Kierkegaard said, "You know, anxiety is a dizziness of freedom." Mm. That this is a moment where a lot of people, rather than sort of like just being in that space, it's so scary Mm. that there's this really strong urge to just run to anything else that provides the rules and the structure, Mm. so you can kind of breathe again, even if it's not, you know, at the end of the day, constructive to the way you want to live. Mm
2: -hmm. That's what I, I used to say. What a cliche! My wife left me, and I lost my faith. And and a, a dear friend of mine was like, it would have also been a cliche if you doubled down and became extremely religious. And I actually know more people because I got married young. I know other people that got married young, and a good number of them are divorced, and a lot of them just married another Christian person. No judgment. I, I actually maybe think you are hearing some judgment there. So I'll just say, it. like, yeah, I think Pete. My true self is okay with that. Pete is sort of judgmental of that. Pete is saying like, oh, look at that. That that might have been a more scared move. But guess what? I'm scared sometimes too. And I get it. And I get what you're saying. That like this world is, we are floating in space. (laughs) And no one's talking about it. That is, I mean, and I found Val. And Val and I are on the couch last night. And we just take, we don't do it to be, Interesting people. We do it because I'm constantly looking for someone that's like, we're in space, Mm. attached to nothing, flying in a weird pattern of planets, and it's fucking insane. And no one's talking about it. And the reason we're not talking about it is because we give ourselves so many other things to talk and think about. Similarly, death happens, divorce happens, there's all this uncertainty. So we can add all of this liturgy, we can add all of these ceremonies and rituals to sort of avoid the big questions. And for so many people, that's what religion is. And again, I, I that I'm trying to say without judgment, is that you you take religion as a set of answers. Pete Enns has this great book called, uh, I haven't read the book, but it's, I envied the title. It's called The Sin of Certainty. Mm. And I was like, that's, that's perfect. And that's maybe the biggest passion of my life is what Richard Rohrer would say is drawing people from dogma or just inherited faith to experiential faith, meaning something happened to you. Something happened to you where you figured out not just your smallness that you're floating in space, but your interconnectedness with everything. It's not like space starts out there. This is space. You know what I mean? I know we call that outer space, but it's all just this one thing and it's mysterious and it's insane and you don't need to know what's going on. I was just hearing about, uh, I forget who it was, but it was some great saint, and they were like, who are you? And you'd think, you ask a guy like me, who are you? I would be like, well, that's an interesting question. I have the construct of my ego, but really I am the uh, awareness that's observing that ego, right? Uh, but a, a saint is not, I'm not a saint, and a saint would be like, I don't know. You know what I mean? That—that yeah. That is, faith is not no doubt. Faith is knowing that you are accepted and at home here, even though you might not know the answers. That's what Richard says. It's it's accepting that you are accepted. So even when you're Mm -hmm. afraid that you're going to die, or even that you're not sure about good and evil and the bend of the universe, you're still like, it's okay, this isn't a flaw in the system.
0: Yeah, I mean, which is not too indifferent from another of your teachers and somebody who I studied, you know, the words of for years, um, Ram Ramdas, who recently passed, you know? And it really, it's, it seems like it's interesting, like you felt this drive, this compulsion to reconstruct some sort of belief system about you and your relationship with the world. It's like you didn't entirely abandon Jesus. And at the same time, you kind of open yourself up to like, like just let me just step into and explore and learn from anyone and see how I figure like right. the pieces of my particular puzzle are coming together. It, it feels like from the outside looking in that you've landed in, in this place, which is kind of on the level of being really drawn to the the mystical expressions of so many different traditions where I think that tends to be the place where you see so much more harmony among mm-hmm. different faith paths
2: you you lose your interest in being right yeah. is what happens and this yeah, yeah. so richard Rohr and ramdas but richard Rohr, I, I plug so much because if people are western in the way that i was meaning they were raised obviously there's every faith in america but like if you were raised in sort of that norman rockwell christian way right. i point people to richard Rohr because he'll take you the same place ramdas does while while letting you hold Jesus's hand. Right, it's like which is,
0: you can work within that ecosystem. It makes you <laughs> yeah, feel yeah.
2: less scared. Uh, and that's what I like about it, to be honest. I'm like, I like that this guy has a cross and look at him with the incense. Even though I wasn't Catholic, I still think this guy must know what he means. And I can hear Richard laughing. I think he would think that's funny. Um, and I think that's why he stays inside of it. He knows the power of symbols and 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 images that transform people. And, and I think I've said that to him. And he's like, that's exactly why I'm here. Mystical just means experiential. And going back to Ramdas, what happened when I was an atheist, briefly, sort of like a closeted, uh, G- Jesus leaning person. I write about in the book that I saw the, the movie, The Book of Eli. It's so embarrassing. It's supposed to be an embarrassing story that I went with my girlfriend, who I, I, I don't, she didn't have strong religious beliefs. We went and saw the book of Eli, which is about Denzel Washington walking the Bible across a post-apocalyptic, He's he has the last Bible and he's like killing motorcycle gangs, yeah. protecting it. It's such a stupid, I I, I actually don't, I, I'm just saying that because I loved it and I sometimes still do watch it. Uh, it's been years, but I, I, I like it. And that embarrasses me because I don't think it's a great movie, but it moved me. I was like, oh no, I let the bikers take my Bible. I felt so that's like the point of the movie is like, don't lose your faith. It's so simple. It's an action movie. So I would have all these inexplicable experiences where I was like, I, it's like the hound of heaven. I felt like God was like chasing me, but I couldn't differentiate from my psyche and my guilt and my upbringing and what was actually like an earnest desire to know the mystery. And it could have been both. Let's be honest. It was probably mostly my psychology. And then there was also this beautiful earnestness and true thing happening. So I was keeping those things to myself, and then I took um, mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms, psilocybin, and that I was the same age as Ramdas was. I was thirty-one, and I I remember I wrote in the book that it was Amy Schumer and Reggie Watts and Kurt Braunholer that told me to take them, and they were all like, "It's like stronger weed or whatever," and like <laughs> for anyone listening, it's not, it's not, it's not stronger weed, like. What are you saying? As much as I turn people on to psychedelics, I'd also like to take a moment to give some caution and be like, it's a serious thing. Like, it's there's every time I've taken psychedelics, as soon as it's in your body, and I wrote this in the book, there's this feeling that you get when something is irrevocably in your system. Like, you... I was watching Succession last night and Greg does cocaine. I've never done cocaine. I'll never do cocaine. But he does cocaine and he's like, should I vomit? And he goes, not if you can't vomit your whole blood system. And I was like, yeah, that's the feeling. It's in you and you have to go and surrender to it and just do it. But nobody told me that. They were just like, it's fun. And I'm kind of glad. The first time the Beatles did LSD, they were dosed. Somebody put it in their iced tea or whatever. Friends at a like beautiful ranch in Germany. So they were happy about it. But they were like, there's so much stigma. We don't want you to freak out. We just put it in your drink and you're going to have a nice time. That was kind of like what happened to me because I just ate it thinking it was like funny or like fun pills. It was in a chocolate. And I didn't know that it was a religious experience until later. And I can summarize it. It's not that I saw Christ or anything. There was no like overt imagery. I saw a tree breathing, like (laughs) undulating moving with my breath and I felt my oneness with a tree and the tree is rooted in the earth and the tree is with the earth and it's breathing the air and it's making more air and it's drinking the rain and I'm with the tree so I'm with everything and I didn't really put language to that until later but I had had an experience that I couldn't explain without a metaphor and that's when I really started to think oh maybe that's what religion is it's trying to explain things That you can't explain without a metaphor which might not be literally true but like god is like an old man in the sky in a cloud whereas i used to be like no he is a man in the sky no that's the metaphor you say he is a man in the sky but uh it's it's really more of an analogy he's like a man in the sky
0: Thank mm-hmm. you. One place and right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free at netsuite.com/goodlife. That's netsuite.com/goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com/goodlife. I mean, it's interesting also because around the same time, you're exploring all of this stuff, you're building a career in comedy, started on the Christian circuit. Then you're in, you end up in New York. Things are really starting to happen.
2: I do want to point out I didn't start in the Christian circuit. That was exaggerated in, in Crashing. Okay. The only reason I want to do that is when I'm nasty or, or mean or something. People are like, and this from the Christian comic? I always want to say, find one thing <laughs> that says Pete Holmes Christian comic. You won't find it. It never exists. I performed at my college, which was a Christian college. Right. And I performed at maybe... I can't even remember specifics, but like other...
0: So a couple of gigs. A couple of gigs,
2: literally. (laughs) A couple couple of gigs. But not enough to ever say I was billed as a
0: Christian. Right. But you're starting to get traction, you know, while all this question is going on, all this change is going on, this thing, and, and part of my curiosity was, you know, in the early days, what drew you to this? But also, as you're moving through this major window of questioning, changing, kind of annihilating your world and trying to figure out how to rebuild it, like yes, you know, like comedy plays a role in expressing certain parts of you, but also what's the bigger job of comedy in your life during that window of time? Like, what was it? I'm curious whether you were sort of like leaning on it as a tool to go deeper into your exploration. I think what what's
2: wonderful about comedy is it's always running. So like, it it seems sort of, beside the point but like if you want to do interesting comedy like have an interesting life so you don't have to like overtly try to make your comedy deeper or more interesting or richer i think it, it it's something that i've actually experienced on mushrooms is you're like the things you read are in there i know that seems like so obvious like so many revelations that you have on drugs but like it really like i really had a sense i was like oh there's richard Rohr, like that stuff is in me and here's the music I listen to and here's the movies that I watch and here's the documentaries or what are here, the conversations I have. So that stuff matters. So like my spiritual seeking ended up informing my comedy, but I never intended to write bits about mindfulness or the mystery of life and death or, necessary suffering or whatever it might be. If you, if I watch my stand-up sometimes after the fact, I go like, oh, that bit is about uh, being present or whatever, or that bit is uh, about the need for, or how joy is always sort of available if you step outside of your circumstances. <laughs> like your circumstances might be not joyful, but there might be a part of you that's still joyful even though you're going through intense yeah. suffering. And there might be jokes about that, but they they come out so stupid and silly I don't know is that answering your question?
0: Yeah, I I mean kind of um it I guess part of it is I so for some reason we've been actually um sitting down with a number of comics of your Eisenberg We're just in Denver with Adam Kate and Holland oh, and a couple of other like and what occurred to me as really the more I don't know Ophira
2: very well. I wasn't like omitting She's super cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I said, oh, Adam's great. Right. It's like I've been with Ophira. <laughs> right. No, I just don't know her as well.
0: No blood scripts thing happening Yeah. No, with no, no, no. <laughs> it, it, what popped into my head, and, and the more I sort of like learned about you and I looked at your work and, and your writing, is that there, there's this sense that comedy is playing an analytical role in the lives of all of us, but, but it's not just a personal thing. I feel like the sort of modern day comic, maybe like the alt comedy comedian is almost playing the equivalent role of, you brought up Plato, right? Of of the philosophers Mm -hmm. of a different generation, because it's like your job is not to, it seemed like a lot of it was self-examination in the early days, but it sounds like, I feel like a lot of comedy now also is, serves a purpose of self-examination, but also commenting on society in a way that is sometimes brutal, but ultimately designed, yes, to get a laugh, but really to get closer to the truth. Absolutely. Is become like that. There's a really interesting role that maybe it's just my observation. It feels like it's it's evolving. there's,
2: There's nothing funny about agreeing with you, which is why so many comedians would be like, nah, like I can hear Bill Burr being like, get the fuck out of here. It's just jokes. And they don't want to call it art. And you know what it is? They're just afraid that if they hold the butterfly too tight in their hand, they're going to kill it. That's all it is. But I'm here to say, yes, of course, it's art. And of course, philosophy used to be popular. That's what you did for fun. You're in ancient Greece and there's orgies and there's fucking uh, they're killing people uh, over here for fun. And and still the philosophers are drawing a crowd like it's it's like modern day. Like we have all these things and still we just want to hear people working it out and and thinking about things harder then maybe people that are that are that don't have the luxury of that time can can go and enjoy that. I think about like Bill Burr and Louis. I, I understand Louis's the controversy. I always want to tip my hat to that, so I'm not just whatever. They both had really interesting bits about abortion, and I was like, "This is that's philosophy," it, and and they're able to do it in a way that uh, I'm thinking more of Louis's. Louis had this bit where he was like, "I'm not uh for it and I'm not against it." and he and he plays both sides. Similarly, Chappelle does that. like he'll he'll just show both sides and and we're laughing. and and Bill Burr will do that thing where we don't agree with what he's saying and and we're laughing. and it's just sort of like this mind expansion. You don't have to leave changed. But like in church, they couldn't say like, You know, uh, we're pro-life here, but, you know, this is when you would be pro-choice for sure. (laughs) You know, like, you can't do it. There's no freedom. We're back to the freedom issue. So the comedian is the free person. That's why I think it's funny when we get in trouble for being free. I was like, don't you see we're just playing the role? We're, We're the guy in the tribe that puts on the mask of the rascal. It's not who we really are everybody's got a rascal, but we become the rascal and that's a necessary thing. We've always had it. We need it. But then I go, but then the press gets mad and that's them playing their role. You want to get outraged. That's, that's okay too. Um, It's all show business. It's fine. I I, I digress. (laughs) I think it is absolutely where we go, especially in this culture where we have less navel-gazing time, because we're constantly stimulating ourselves. We need the people that are finding ways to be bored and still think about things very deeply and then share them in entertaining ways.
0: Yeah, and I think provoke us to question, like, where does the capital truth lie, or at least our capital truth lie, sort of like in the way things are unfolding, yeah. which is, and like you found the confluence in, you know, like Jon Stewart and The Daily Show, where you know, a certain generation got all of their news from that show. yeah. You know, sort of like, and everyone understood that there was comedy driving the whole thing, but like, they viewed him as the most honest person.
2: That's right, and and you and you should. I mean, I think John had his leanings, but it, he was honest about them, and I think that's what made it a little bit different. When when Fox News calls itself fair and balanced, it's just sort of like, well, what do you what? Why not just call yourself conservative news? Like, why is that so bad? And I think the Daily Show was like no, we're liberal show business news. But I mean, like, college kids tend to really like that sort of stuff. So here it is. And if and if they want to call bullshit on the on the Democrats, I I didn't watch a lot of
0: Daily Show, but I'm assuming they did. Yeah, what they did whatever they wanted. I know you've also described comedy as sort of the modern day preacher. (laughs) So not just philosopher, but also it's like crossing back into like, more into your roots. But but
2: Let, show but, business, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I guess because
0: you described that also, like you're getting up in front of a congregation. Like there's a certain amount yeah. of yeah. it's showtime it, right Those now. were my first show, people. But you've also broken it down and gone beyond preaching and said it's the ministering side that actually is kind of like more interesting to you.
2: Well, it is. If we're saying like a, a nurse ministers health. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she brings or he brings you medicine and care. Uh, that is ministry, right? So that is how I'm kind of using that term. You hear ministry, you think I'm spreading like a certain gospel, a certain right. set of beliefs that I want you to carry around in your head so we both have them, right? I think you can agree or disagree with me or Bill Burr or whoever. And if you're laughing and you're experiencing the playfulness and the, and the elasticity, elastification of your brain, that is you're ministering to the audience and you're being ministered to everybody's sort of, it's a mutually beneficial situation. Sometimes I was doing my show last night. Two What day is it? Oh, it's Monday. Yeah. I did a show last night. So there was somebody laughing and I was like, I think you're going to live eight more years because you just laughed that loud. Like it felt like it unlodged something like a block. And that is really up my own ass, but I'm not saying Pete is this healing thing. I'm saying laughing is a healing thing, and of course it is. Why would you come out to a club where the laughs are so much better by the way, if you could if it was just about hearing my material? Yeah. You're coming there to gather in a mass of mammals and and I love the word undulating, somebody pointed that out recently. And undulate in a rhythm. It's it's a drum circle, it's the end of avatar where they're holding arms it's primal. And I think it's healing. I think it's actually very good medicine, but it's also good medicine for your brain. Like that's good preaching is, is I'm allowed to say, I don't know what's going on up here. Uh, I'm working on a bit. I can't get it to work where I go, why is everyone scared to die? Everyone dies. My grandma died. You can't do what my grandma did. She didn't even speak English. I think that's so funny. Crowds aren't quite ready for it. but or, or it's not funny enough. They can hear it, but it's not quite funny enough. Even in church, they're not going up necessarily and saying, we die. Maybe like Kobe Bryant just passed. Th- these weeks, we're going to hear some sermons about death. But I mean, like, I have a year-round pass to be like, this shit's temporary. We have a whole Ecclesiastes, shout out to the OT. <laughs> There's a whole book going like, we're fucked. This is fucked. We're all just fucked. Have you looked around? And that's so lost. We're just it just got turned into ethics and polity and afterlife guarantees. It's so fucking boring. Jesus did not do that. He didn't go around going, like, don't worry, you guys are in. You guys are in. In fact, he kept pointing like everybody was in, especially the people that didn't feel in, the poor and the outcast, the sick, the untouchable. And he was pointing at the kings and the idiots going like, these guys, I'm not so sure. That's exciting. And that's what a comedian can do. I bet Jesus was funny. You know, I, I, I'm. we don't even know what is historically true. I, I happen to believe it. That takes some faith because of the way that records are kept. But I'm like, I bet that guy was funny.
0: Somewhere there's like a, a missing joke book.
2: Yes. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? It's, it's me, like, baby.
0: Someone's going to find it. It's
2: a revelation. I stand at the door and knock. Um, if you're uh, religious, you're laughing.
0: It's, it's really interesting also that you mentioned sort of like what happens when people in a room together. Because part of it, I think, is, yes, you have somebody like you who's a master of the craft. And we can talk about that a little bit, too, because I'm curious. I'm very touched. On yeah you know, on stage, bringing people along for this journey where everyone using your, the word you love is sort of undulating yes. through ripples it's of emotion and laughter together.
2: Yeah. And I, the fence. You know what I mean? Like that's part of it too. Like right. it's it's risky. Right. Somebody said stand-up is like going to the zoo and seeing the animals. Yeah. I'm a weird bonobo. <laughs> and I'm a friendly bonobo. I'm not gonna shit in my hand. Like you can bring you can bring the teenage kids, maybe not the baby kids, but like it's there should be a little bit of a risk. There is risk going to the zoo. The chimpanzees might start fucking. You know what I mean? And that's there's something kind of fun about that element.
0: Yeah. And I think being in a room with a whole bunch of other people where you're sharing it and also sort of looking around, you're kind of like, you know, is it is this okay for me to laugh? Cause I'm yeah. I think it's really funny. And then noting everybody's along with you at a certain point. Yeah, yeah. There's a sense of belonging that I think happens in a room that we so yearn for because we feel it so little these days. Yeah that I totally agree, I, I don't think being in a, in a room or a theater or an audience with a lot of people in person, not with a screen between you, is ever gonna go away because yeah. we just need it, we have to no, have I it. No, I
2: completely agree. Somebody made me feel good, it, it it was Dan Natterman, he was talking about job security. He was like, we provide a service, people seem to need it. Mm-hmm. It's been around for a very long time. And even though, I mean, they're always trying to be like, oh, Google, VR, stand up," and I'm like, yeah, sure. And there's porn too, but sex remains popular. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. I'm not worried. And uh maybe that maybe this is the sound of a dinosaur who doesn't know a meteorite is coming, but I, I, I don't I don't see that happening. You're and you're right on the money. Like, so I work this weekend and I could take you through first show Friday and the and the psyche of them Saturday. And then on Sunday, you can feel that some of them went to church. And you can tell that some of them like you just you're, you have these different touchstones. And sometimes I'll tell them, I have this joke that's like a little bit dirty. It's a little bit cheeky, I guess. I wouldn't even say it's dirty. It's just cheeky. And sometimes they don't laugh. And in the middle of the joke, I'll go, guys, I've heard this hour before. This is one of the funniest parts. For you, I mean it, not for me. For you, laugh it up. I can feel you looking around and seeing if it's okay to laugh that that makes it sound like it's racist or something that's not what i mean it's just about sex but i'm like you guys are sitting out one of the best jokes of the hour i've heard it before this is your opportunity give it up but i can see that they're, they're they 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 maybe the town is too small mm. they don't want to laugh in front of their postman it's i don't like know what they're it centering is themselves you can feel it yeah that's why like the perfect situation for comedy It's never a birthday group. It's never a corporate group. You don't want the audience to know each other. You want to be in a group of strangers that become synced up for a time and then never see each other again. And that's that's where you want to be. You want to see other people laughing. That's the whole idea of doing things in the round and stuff. You want to the audience is part of the show. That's that's why it's always a nightmare if there's like a huge bachelor party or bachelor. It's not just because they're drunk. It's because they know each other. You know what I mean? So maybe they're doing a bit about like, I don't know, you ever hit on a girl and some guy starts laughing and your friends are like, you don't hit on girls. You've been married since you were 21, you fucking dummy. It's like, you want to be free. Yeah. Well, maybe he has dreams that he, or maybe he has a memory of that. Or like, shut up, let him laugh. Nah. <laughs> or you're a pastor. You know what I mean? The best thing a pastor can do if he wants to have a good time is go to a comedy club outside of his town, wear a ball cap and just forget that he's a pastor for a night and just enjoy it. Not all comedy. Some comedy, most comedy is pretty bad. If you ask me like a lot of it's pretty bad, but like if you go and see Chappelle and just forget your role for a second, that's what, that's what comedy is inviting you to. It's like, how about for this? Don't even be a man or a woman. Don't even be a cop don't be a veteran. Don't be a politician. Don't be a pastor. Don't be a conservative. Don't be a liberal. Don't be offendable. Don't be offended. Don't do not do anything. Just come and just merge. Merge with me and merge with the audience. And you forget yourself. Just like a good music show. Like when I go and see music show, when I go and see a concert, I'm not like, well, those are the notes that are okay for me as an Irish Protestant. <laughs> I just go... There's, there's all the notes, and I let them all in. And I understand that comedy is ideas, so it can be sort of riskier to let... Because some comedy, I th- a lot of comedy, I think, has some hate speech kind of laced in there because you're dealing with people's psychologies. Of course, there's going to be nastiness in there. So I'm not saying go and open arms, but there can be some a good feeling to the surrender of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting, right? If you, if you frame it as an invitation to lose your sense of self right? yeah. in, in the room, which you know, come zooming back to the early part of our conversation, which is fundamentally, isn't that about what it's all about? That is what it's all about.
2: And and that's exactly my point is I'm just trying to kill. And then when you're killing, and I'm trying to be myself and be creative and all those things. And when you're killing, you actually are achieving something that I would consider deeply spiritual Mm. or mystical, meaning it's an experience of oneness. I've said this a million times, forgive me, Katie, but it's like, you go in as Jonathan, but then you become an audience and then the performer and the audience merge into something called a show. So that's a bunch of things becoming one thing. And when you're laughing, this is George Carlin, when you're laughing, you're not thinking about what your beliefs are. You're not remembering your zip code, basically. You're gone. You just are Arness. You just are being. And that's a beautiful, that's why it feels so good the same thing happens that's why i think a lot of people are getting drunk and fucked up or what in all these different ways it's cuz you, when you're messed up you're not going these are the things I care about and this is who I am and this is where I come from. You're just kind of like, and but when you're laughing, you can do it in a a healthier, less destructive way or do both at the
0: same time. A lot of people seem to. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing. And I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me and it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. Do you ever wonder whether people ever sort of get a, for lack of a better word, a oneness hangover after something like this? So you go to an experience, it's, it's mystical. (laughs) That wasn't why you were going. It wasn't your expectation, but there's a sense of merging of losing yourself of just like for this one moment in time, for this hour, two hours, three concert, whatever it is, like everything is okay. Yeah. You know, and and I lose this sense of extraordinary self consciousness and judgment and stuff like that. And then you step back out of that, and to a certain extent, I wonder if, if maybe some of us are just wired that way, and, and whether whether the moment is amazing, it reminds you of what's possible. And when you return to your everyday regular life, I wonder if sometimes people have this hangover that's kind of like wow it almost makes them look at their current day-to-day reality as worse than before they had an experience mm-hmm. like this. Whereas some people I think would then leave that and be like, you know what? And uh, now I've seen what's possible. Yeah. This, this my day-to-day isn't, it, it kind of isn't what I want it to be. So I'm going to, I'm going to, it motivates action to, to try, change. try and yeah.
2: Well, I think what you're, you're asking a, a very great question, I think is because you're talking about our. Desire to not be enlightened,
0: basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a huge thing, right? Because There's... we don't, and, and largely because we don't want to endure change and uncertainty, right? Can, like, yeah, this back, goes right? back to the no, Kierkegaard
2: yeah. thing. There's a, a book called Awake. I didn't read the whole book. I'd like to. I yeah, should go Sam back. Sam Harris, right? Oh, I'm sorry. It's not called Awake because that is Sam Harris. It's called some. It's synonymous with Awake. <laughs> but the first line is: um the first step to waking up is realizing you don't want to wake up. And I was like, Oh, right. So why, when we have these experiences, whether they might be, you know, the reason I write about three ways in the book is I've had three ways. Those were very transcendent experiences. I know it just sounds like I'm a a comedian and you just want to tell schools, tell, tell tales out of school. The reason was those were just like peak experiences where you didn't want to be anywhere else in the world. So you actually felt very equanimous. You felt content. Uh, And then the next day you kind of come back into the the slog of reality. So you can have it through sex. You can have it through art. You can have it through conversation. uh, You can have it through a great meal. You can have it through comedy. There are all these things, skydiving. You can get a glimpse of being outside of yourself and and you're free. Then we always come back. So that tells me that we want to not suffer, but we want to exist. And when you're in an audience, you sort of stop existing. And then you come back to reality and they're your problems. And your ego loves your problems because when you're dealing with a problem, you are real. You exist. And when you're suffering, you are real. You exist. It's very scary to say, I am awareness. And I am here. Fame, pain, gain, shame is all the same. That's what Ram Dass says. That place is very frightening. There's nowhere to stand because you're saying I am vapor or I am love is another way to say it. But like you're saying Jonathan isn't real or Jonathan ain't shit or Jonathan is just a shadow puppet on the wall. That's a great mind experiment. And if you want to do it for 30 minutes and feel some relief, chances are at the end of that 30 minutes, you're going to want to get back into some serious Jonathan shit. You're going to want to use the energy that gave you to solve some, some of Jonathan's problems, right? It's very scary to really own and embody oneness. One of the things that I've, that helps me do it more often than I used to. And that's all I can ever say is I'm just trying to do it more than I used to is saying that like you, you can play the game. That's a big Ramdas thing. It's like, I don't have to, you know, be attached to unattachment. I can play the game of Pete. That's what I mean when I'm saying like, when I'm doing this, I'm just being a comedian, but you're just not attached to it. You also can't fully let go of your fears or your pains. You can just stop identifying with them but it's all there. I'm still going to have my issues with my family. I'm still going to have my preferences. Oh, I was on a flight recently. I was like, what kind of first class doesn't have a TV? Like, yeah, uh, look at Pete being a piece of shit. It's okay. That's why you get those those group awakenings. And, and what is the, the what is the message? What is the cliche message when somebody goes to that place from with drugs or however else is you're like, it's okay. We're okay. We're okay. So guess what else is okay. Forgetting is okay. In fact, that's, that's what we're here to do. We're here to forget. If we all knew nothing would be happening.
0: <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, the way you describe also awareness, um, I, I know you've also shared that, you know, you're sort of at this moment where when you think about um, God it effectively, like, the translation is, it's kind of like awareness. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you can translate as love, but there's this bigger sense. My curiosity always with the idea of awareness also is, because it also Im- implies, you know, like you said, you know, like, oh, I realize this is just Pete being like this or this or this or this. Or this. I'm so fascinated with the question of like, but who's, re- who's doing the realizing?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who's watching Pete? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the beginning of, I'm going to say it's low level because I have it. I'm, so it's not enlightenment. It's yeah. like a low-level beginning right. is 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 the first step is to say, who's noticing the changing Pete? Because there was a Pete that was a Republican. There was a Pete that was pro, uh, or I like to say anti-choice. Of course, I'm pro-life. I, I love life. I love babies and stuff. But I'm also for people's liberty, whatever it might be. But there was a Pete that used to believe the opposite of everything. But what was constant? What didn't change between... The two Petes, or Baby Pete, or Old Pete. Maybe I'll change again. But what was the same? The same thing was the awareness. And I, I can't shout this from the rooftops is enough. It's in the Old Testament. Everybody knows the story of the burning bush. Moses asked God, the character of God, "What is your name?" And God says, "I am that I am. I am emnes It was the first metaphor for existence for awareness itself so it's the same thing science is looking for consciousness what is it that's seeing anything i can't talk about this enough and again val and i don't just talk about being in space like it's insane or it's incredible that anything is seeing anything so the deeper you get into mysticism the less concerned you are with what you're seeing you're just concerned that there is seeing so it's one of my favorite things. It's in the Upanishads. It says, not that that not that which the eye can see, but that whereby the eye can see. Know that to be Brahman the eternal and not what men here adore. And they do that for everything. Not what the ear can hear, but that whereby the ear can hear. It's it's talking about aware. These are fucking old texts that are just going, what is seeing? And that's what Mushroom showed me It wasn't because people take mushrooms. I've made this point before, and they're like, I don't understand. I just saw like clowns. Clowns were just slapping me. How is that religious? I was like, it's not what you see. It should give you a sense. It should help you see with what you're seeing. Alan Watts says that will always be a a mystery because a knife can never cut itself, a fire can never burn itself, and an eye can never see itself. Like the, the fundamental eye of you, you have a very hard time looking at that you can't turn the flashlight around and shine it on itself so all we can do is stop thinking stop trying to file it away and experience it and that's why the the definition i like of god is awareness itself and that solves every problem i ever had as a kid i used to be like if there's life in other galaxies does that mean jesus came to those planets and and died for their sins it's like no, anywhere there is isness, isness is, and God is isness. That's it. But it's not pantheism. It's what Richard would call uh, panentheism. It's what anyone would call panentheism. Mm-hmm. I mean, God is the animating principle behind and within and throughout all things. But that doesn't mean that I'm God. It means that the the awareness principle inside me is God. But I am. I'm not going around going. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I'm just saying. I'm a drop of the ocean, and the ocean is God.
0: Yeah, I and mean, you also have to be much more sort of comfortable with a much broader, more open conceptual notion. That's of, right. Of everything, really. Yes. <laughs> so, if we're talking Jogham about us, and you know, like the good, bad news is we're falling. You know, like um, <laughs> nothing to grab onto, nothing to stop us. Like the good news is there is no ground.
2: I love that you know
0: and it's it's truer than true yeah and it's sort of like you have to I feel like so much of like the part of our work is getting comfortable with that notion and not grasping to like I have to have rules I have to know like there has to be black and white (laughs) there has to be like clear like I need a certain amount of that and I think we do need some of it in our lives so much stuff I've heard it I've heard so many people say well you know like the fund, one of the fundamental tenets of Buddhism is that life is suffering and I've also heard that the the language has actually been largely mistranslated it's not so much suffering it's 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 unsatisfactory and a lot of that has to do with us trying to wake up in the morning and make life certain yeah secure you know, right. and, and if that is the one thing you know you can never one hundred percent control, then yeah, that is life as suffering.
2: Right. It's it's very Taoist in that way too. Yeah. It, it, I, I listen to this Ram Dass record when I'm feeding my baby in the morning, and and the first thing he says is the Great Way. It, it's the it's the third patriarch of Zen, so it's Buddhism actually, but it's also similar to Taoism. He said the Great Way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. So what we're talking about is is surrender, and that you can see it and be it if you stop thinking about it and talking about it. Uh, But I do want to say for anybody listening that's curious about this and wants a compassionate approach to it, we're talking about low levels of religion. It stinks that we have to say low and high because we're being dualistic and we're being, you know, we're prioritizing. But I I like it. Let's have some judgment. Let's have some good judgment. (laughs) Low levels of religion and you need it build structure, build ethics, give you rules, give you identity, right? This is who I am. I'm Pete. I'm from Boston. I'm a Protestant. I don't like gambling whatever it might be like i really was raised that like gambling is like a real i still when i go to vegas i'm like who are these degenerates like i just i just got that like stay in my room (laughs) i I just thought it was trashy like i like i i don't think it's trashy anymore like whatever if i'm being honest i still don't think it's awesome like i've never been like although my dad bet on sports games so they were full of shit like they would be like that's sad to like play blackjack but then he'd bet on the fucking celtic so everybody's full of shit including me so don't take anything i say too seriously but i learned all these ethics right and then so richard rohr writes in his book falling upward he he, that's where i first heard the phrase low levels of religion and like the first half of life and the second half of life but you need them we can't just be over here and go like i'm not just gonna teach my daughter you're you're one with everything you know what i mean like all of those are just fingers pointing at the moon i'm gonna tell her some stories I'm not going to give her the dogma and the, and the fear and the ostracization that I got that I didn't like. I'm not going to tell her sex is evil. I'm not going to tell her her Jewish friends and her Muslim friends and her Buddhist friends are going to hell because they don't have the love of C-H-R-A-S-E in, the, in their H-E-A-R-T. I'm not going to do that. But I, I'll give her, you know, some morsels. And then later she can deconstruct. And then later she can reconstruct. But that's that's all in the game. There's definitely probably, I, I, I can't say definitely, but there's probably going to be a time when she's like, this is all bullshit. And I'll be like, oh, what a mitzvah. Welcome. And you know what? I still have that part of me too. Let's dance it out. Let's talk about it. Maybe it is all bullshit. Who am I? I don't know. What's going on here? I don't know. Is it all a dance? Is it all a game? Is it all a joke? Is it all meaningless? I don't know. And let's play that for a while, because it's important that these are, you know, Richard says we don't understand the metaphor of hell because we don't understand the purification element of fire. Like anybody in the forestry or, or farming or whatever it might be knows that there's a time when there's a necessary fire. That's what a necessary fire is, the doubt and letting that in. Instead of just you're on the plane and there's the gremlin on the wing and you're acting like nothing's happening. Like that's that's not the way to enlightenment. Let it all in. That's what Jesus did in the desert. It's in the story. He goes in the desert and he hangs out with Satan. Satan tempts him with power and all the the three major things. I I can't even remember the three things, but it's like, you're God, you're you're powerful. uh, You can be famous. (laughs) Basically tempts him with everything worldly. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to like have that time. Jesus did it 40 days. So I'll give Lila 40 days. <laughs> I'm just
0: kidding. <laughs> like tell her early, and she's like, "You can choose yeah. when they start." Oh, this is day just one. Let me, let me know, it's like, Dad. I don't no, know about right, this. It's like, day one, right? It's like no, it's like a diet. No, we'll start on Monday. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you better if you're coming at me with hard doubt, just know you right. have 39 <laughs> days after this.
0: Um, the notion of craft with what you're doing, because clearly it's something that that matters to you, and I've also heard you write and say that it's not so much like you could it's not yes there's the writing side yes i need to work out the actual lines i need to like whatever it is i'm going to say it's going to come out of my mouth matters and yet you've also been pretty clear that 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 it seems like at least that is not the thing that matters most so there's an element of craft i think a lot of people look at when they look at a performer and 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 especially a comic where it just seems like it's all about oh my god that was the story was so perfectly told yeah. and the lines and the language were meticulous, not even realizing that the probably vastly larger part of the craft, which leads to the experience is nonverbal. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that.
2: I mean, I, I say that before I go on stage. I said it before I went on stage last night. I say, it's not about the words. It's not. And Gerard, this is, this is some, neck this actually ties perfectly to what we were just saying. So if Leela wanted to be a standup comedian, I wouldn't start with, it's not about the words. I would start with, you gotta write some great jokes. Let's write some great material. And that's your first 10 years. That's what I'll call the lower level of standup. It's the same thing. Then mystical standup or the second half of standup or higher levels of standup are when you start to realize that it's not about the words, that it's about a shared experience of beingness and being humor. That's what Ramdas told me. Mm. In, he said, be humor. He's like, don't do comedy. Be humor. Like be comedy. But that's hard to understand. So at the beginning, you're just trying to write perfect jokes. Like I had an early joke where I go, What's the employee discount at the dollar store? Right? That's just a that's just a good joke. It's a solid joke. You could tell it to my mom and she'd laugh. That's the early stages of stand-up. Where you're just like, How can I make a bulletproof act? The later stuff is how can I be vulnerable? And still be in charge. (laughs) You know what I mean? And how can I remember that it's about a transmission of who I am in my fullness on that night for those people that that is actually the show that my bad mood or my uh, fogginess or whatever it might be is part of the show. Even if something's kind of going badly, that's the show. So that's like, So it's a little bit of a non-resistance thing, but I learned this before I learned about non-resistance is you go, whatever is happening is the show. That's non-resistance. Meaning if I fuck up the joke, that's what's here to entertain you. You're feeling like, ooh, you're welcome. It's like a movie where that was one of the feelings that you had during the movie. Like, this is the show. So you start to like get into that. I would say that that's more of a mastery level where you just go like, this is what's happening. And then the best thing that you can do is realize that it's about transmitting your personality and your being and your thoughts and your heart in a funny way to the audience. If you can then weave that with perfectly written jokes, now you're really cooking. Right, right. Cuz I did a joke last night and I Lara Bites is my opener and I got off and I was like, I got to watch the tape because I told this joke perfectly. And I've been telling this joke hundreds of times and I was like, I I dropped this part And I ended with a part that I usually begin with, but I was shuffling it in real time to experiment. And it came out perfectly. And you know, because everybody applauded at the end. And you go, that's where the Seinfeld comes in. Now Seinfeld would be like, I love Seinfeld. He'd be like, of course it's about the words. It's the perfect words, it's the perfect jokes. I'm like, well, Jerry, the reason why that works for you, I would say, is because that's who you are. Hmm. You're that guy. To quote him, I'm thin and clean and neat. He goes, I'm not gay, but I am thin, clean, and neat, <laughs> right? Uh, but so Jerry being very specific about the words is a transmission of who Jerry is. You don't want to see uh, Mitch Hedberg do comedy the way that that I do. You want everybody to do it in the style that they are supposed to be doing it. Tig does it differently than Sarah Silverman does it, than Whitney Cummings does it, than Solomon Giorgio does it. Like And the true extraction of who they are is what good stand up is. The the biggest letdown I feel when I see stand up is when I see somebody and they're not being they're not presenting themselves in their fullness.
0: Hmm. <laughs> Comedy he, is uh, I mean stand up is uh, the way you describe it, the way that the whole conversation has been, it's the stand up is, is a spiritual practice. <laughs>
2: absolutely. Yeah. Why else would people do it their yeah. whole lives? Yeah. They I mean you have the money. It's like I always envy people that play like golf or racquetball or something, those sports that you're like, it takes a lifetime to master. Like you, you would be lucky, would all be lucky to find something in your life, even if it's just making the perfect shot of espresso, something that is like this is gonna take you your life to master. Because Rob Bell talks about that. It's the Japanese word ikigai, which means a reason to get out of bed. And stand up is one of those reasons when you're starting stand-up you have to be like it's the reason it's all i care about and that's how i was for 10 years i've been doing it 20 years and i can tell you that my family there's no separation i can't be like comedy is is less important or more important it's not even a hierarchy it's just like it's just what's happening obviously my family is more important in love It's more important in knowledge and waking up and all these different things but comedy is a part of that it's not like over there it's it's in the mix
0: yeah well it's like you described ram das like gave you the the guidance it yeah you, you make the transition from doing to just being and yeah. then there is no separation between like balancing yeah. this against this or it just is
2: you're never more present right. or i'm never more present than when i'm doing stand-up mm-hmm. so you get off and you're like the elation that you feel a young comedian thinks and maybe it is That you were affirmed, like you're talented, you're special, you're the golden boy. And then later, after you've sort of had too much ice cream, like I don't need people to tell me. I, I mean, I still like it, and I don't like when people are like, you ain't shit or whatever, but like you have too much ice cream and you're like, okay, enough ice cream. Why do you keep doing it? You're doing it because like you are locked in. That's the other thing I hate when people are doing comedy at the audience instead of realizing that you're supposed to be swimming with the audience, which makes you vulnerable to it being a bad show. If you're allowing them, as Brian Regan says, to be the instrument, and the comedian is a musician who plays the audience, that's Brian Regan's point, sometimes the audience sucks, but you're like, that's what we're doing. The guitar is out of tune. The guitar was drunk, <laughs> or the guitar was stupid. Uh, but that was the show that night. It's it's, And the more vulnerable you are, the more it hurts when you bomb. If I was just going, what's the employee discount at the dollar store for an hour? It doesn't hurt as bad as when I go up. Like my closer right now is is about the complexities that I felt as a man being straight and what I felt like was taught to me that being straight meant. And when they don't like it, you go like, oh, no, it's like a bad therapy. It's, it's per- like if, it's your, personal. <laughs> if your therapist booed you, like that's what it's like. It's like, we don't like that. It's like,
0: all right. She's picturing like a therapist holding up like a one to 10 card. (laughs) (laughs) You just wrote a a New Yorker (laughs) cartoon, a captionless one. That's hard. This feels like a good place for us to come full circle also. So sitting here um, in this container of the Good Life Project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? To live a good life.
2: I think it's all about... Interconnectivity and connection. Like you could just say connection, but I think connection is is leading us to interconnection. So seeing your place in the fullness of things. There's that Mary Oliver poem, A Wild Geese. Yeah. And it's like finding your place in the, in, I, I'm, I'm fucking it up, but read it. I'm not even going to try. We read it all the time. I'm embarrassed that I can't remember it. It's about feeling at home in the world, in the wild, dangerous world. Alan Watts says, people say people come into this world, you should really say you came out of the world. So like the world, like an apple on a tree, the, the apple didn't come into the tree, it came out of the tree, it's part of the tree. And the more things you can do, conversations, reading or, or laughing or creating or collaborating, or just going to a, you don't have to be a social person and do this, you can just go to the park, sit quietly, just watch That people, just like amoebas, are doing what people do. They people. People, people. Waves, wave. Birds, bird. And you can feel that at homeness. So the more things you can do that make you realize that you're not a stranger here, that you're not this like, (laughs) it's not like a, you know, in cartoons, the background is a painting and then the cartoon is a cell, like, but you can tell because the cell is like a different vibrancy. It's not that it's it's one thing. You're you're okay. You came in okay. You're here to play, you're here to figure it out and to feel that connection. But when you feel that inclusive connection that some people might call love, that's those are the breadcrumbs on the trail and that's a good life to feel that oneness, to see yourself in another. That, you know, Jesus was say like, love your neighbor as yourself, but it's like see yourself in your neighbor. Realize that your neighbor is you. That there's no one in the other boat, as Ram Dass would say. Mm-hmm. That's a good life.
0: Thank you.